Thank you to the Rob Wilson Band for leading our students in worship, and thank you to all those who uh, came to Amarillo from so many different churches and many different places, many of them having grown up in our own ministry, uh, for coming back from college to help us this weekend. We, we are grateful. I know that's a big commitment. One man recalls it was a nice Sunday morning after church. My brother and I were playing, he says, out in the backyard separately. And then there was a, a frantic thrashing in the bushes. And all of a sudden, outbounds their big dog named Mate. And he was ferociously shaking back and forth a black and white lob-eared rabbit. Now, Mate couldn't have cared less, but my brother and I realized immediately that it belonged to Miss Clawson, the widow who lived next door. There was nothing to do but tell dad. Our dad was the kind of guy who never panicked. He always had a solution. He always said there wasn't any problem that couldn't be solved. He never knew disappointment or despair or admitted failure. Let's just think about this, boys, he said. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and wash the bunny rabbit really, really good. Then I want you to towel dry him, pat him down, and then I want you to put him back in his cage. Oh, and oh yeah, tie the dog up for sure. Put the dog back in his yard in time. Miss Clawson will be home from church in a little while. She'll go out to the cage and she'll see her little rabbit. She'll be sad, but she'll think he died from natural causes and there won't be any enmity between the neighbors. So that's what I want you to do. So we followed, he says, my father's instruction. We washed the little rabbit. We patted him down with a towel. We put him in the cage. We hid in the bushes and waited for Miss Clawson to come home. And indeed, just like Daddy said, she made her way down to the rabbit cages, and all of a sudden there was shrieking and screaming, and she was talking to God and asking God questions. She was going crazy. My parents thought it was something terrible. They came running out of our house, and they got her to calm down for just a moment and said, tell us, tell us what's wrong. I buried that rabbit three days ago, she said. <laughs> Patsy Claremont shares the following true story about her son, Jason. When Jason was seven, I sent him off to school one day. It was a moment I, I heard a knock at the door, and I opened it, and there stood my seven-year-old Jason. And Jason said, I'm quitting school. Well, why have you quit school, Jason? It's too long, it's too hard, and it's too boring, and I quit. Jason, son, you've just described life. Now go back and get on, on the bus. There are times when we all want to run away, to quit before we ever really get started, to hop on a train, a plane, or a bus, to run away to some land of beginning again and leave all of our headaches and our heartaches and our deadlines and our stress, to drop it all right there and to get away. Those times in life when you feel like it, you're at the end of the rope and you're holding on and ponder just how long you can hold. Your muscles begin to ache and your grip begins to slip and, well, you need some help and you need some help fast. Look at verses 1 through 8 of Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide thyself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless and my complaint I am surely distracted because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked. They bring down trouble upon me. In anger, they bear a grudge against me. 
My heart is in anguish within me, verse 4, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And I said, oh, that I had the wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hasten to my place of refuge from the stormy wind and the tempest. It's a prayer from the psalmist that God will not hide himself from the psalmist. He's living in a world of criticism and anger and oppression, and all of life is pressing down perhaps on David, the psalmist. Life is pressing down on the psalmist, and he doesn't know what to do or where to turn. He just wants to, to fly away. Verses 6 and 7, he says, I wish I had the wings like a dove, and I would simply fly away and take refuge somewhere. There was a, a Peanuts cartoon when Charlie Brown says, there's no problem so big that I can't run away. There's no problem so big that I can't run away. That's the way David felt. His enemy was coming after him. He was overcome by criticism and stress and oppression and hardship. And he says, I wish I had wings. If I had wings, I would fly away from my trouble. It's always our first impulse, isn't it? To get away. Some people think if they can change location, it'll all work out. Uh, if we just pick up and move to a new city and leave all of our, our troubles behind, or if I could just change jobs and go to a new place to work, if I could just move from here to there, if I could just go to a new location, I could flee like that dove and, and fly away. Other people want to change relationships. If I could ju just divorce my husband or my wife, I, if I could just go to a new person, to a new relationship, then all my problems would be solved. In reality, what happens is we take our problems to our new location, we take ourselves to our new relationship, and nothing is solved at all. Are there others who try to numb themselves with drugs or alcohol? You show me someone who abuses drugs or alcohol, now I'll show you someone who has another problem, a different kind of problem, and she or he is trying to numb himself or numb herself from the realities of, the li of life. Like the dove through the alcohol or drugs, they're trying to, to fly away. Or there are others yet who try to call it all quits with suicide. Suicide is the 10th leading clock cause of death amongst all Americans. It is the second leading cause for this group right here, ages 14 to 24. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. My friends have disappointed me. My enemies are overwhelming me. I, I, I'm holding on. I, I don't have wings. I can't fly away. And I'll just end it all. Whether it's changing location or changing relationships or numbing ourselves with a substance or trying to end it all with suicide, we're trying to get away from our problems. The problem here is he wants to fly away like a dove because he's disappointed. Jeremiah had said this before in Jeremiah 48, Give wings to Moab that she may flee and get away. You who dwell in Moab, leave the city and dwell in the rock. And be like the dove that makes her nest on the side of the cave's mouth. The idea of David is the idea of Jeremiah. If we could just fly away from pain and destruction. Well, notice 
the real source of pain. Look at, look at verse 12, what he says. For it is not my enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it the one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We who had sweet fellowship together and walked in the house of God in the throng. David says, I want to fly away from my troubles. What's the source of his trouble? It's a friend. He said, if it had been my enemy, I'd understand. Don't we all disappoint each other more than anybody else disappoints us? Doesn't it hurt the most when someone you really love doesn't stay loyal to you or, or you feel somehow betrayed by a friend? He says, we even went to worship together. We walked in the house of God together. You were my friend. You were my equal. You were my companion. You were my familiar friend. David is overwhelmed with the negativity of life, and he's overwhelmed by the fact that it isn't an enemy, but rather it is a friend who's caused him his distress, and he wants to fly away like a dove from the problems of his friend. Then look at verse 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be forsaken. In the midst of this overwhelming stress and headache and heartache and this disappointment by a friend when he wants to fly away like a bird and rest in the cave, he says, I'm going to look to God, and it is God who will sustain me. God never allows his righteous, he says, to be shaken. God will sustain us. It's the idea of God will bear us up. God will bolster us. God will strengthen us. God will undergird us. How does God sustain us? I, I want us to notice three things in this psalm. How does he look to God and how does God sustain him? First of all, God sustains us through frequent and fervent prayer. God sustains us through frequent and fervent prayer. Look at verse 16. As for me, I will call upon the Lord, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. For there are many who strive with me. He says, I'm going to pray in the evening time. I'm going to pray in the morning time. And if need be, I will also pray at noon. The sweet fellowship with God and the midst of the disappointment of my friend, I will look to the Father, he says. I will call upon God and God will save me. He will deliver me from the treacherous and traitorous enemies. The verb translated here is, I'm going to complain. I'm going to murmur. It is a word for bellowing out. I'm going to cry out to God and let God hear and know all that is wrong within me. How about Daniel. Daniel was taken into captivity to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, and he refused to do the things that the, those of Babylon were doing. He refused to allow himself to be defiled or his religion to be defiled. Do you remember his story? It says that three times a day, 
in the midst of the pressure to conform and be like the other youth from Babylon, in the midst of all that pressure, he prayed three times a day. First King, we hear about Elijah who, who was praying for rain. He prayed six times, and every time he sent his servant, go look for the cloud. There's no cloud. Go look for the cloud. There's no cloud. Go look for the cloud. There is no cloud. Six times. The seventh time he sends him, the servant comes back and says, the thunder clouds are rolling in. Seven times he prayed. When you feel disappointed by your family, you feel disappointed by your friend, by things at school, by things in the workplace, the law office, the bank, on the construction site, wherever it may be for you, I will pray at night, I will pray in the morning, and I will pray in the daytime as well. Fervent prayer always the psalmist says i've always thought it interesting when the disciples asked jesus to teach them something i don't think i'd have been this smart they say what do they say lord teach us to pray i think i would have said lord teach me to heal the sick lord teach me to raise the dead lord teach me to multiply the bread and the fish I want to know that one. I, I would have been like, like Simon. Lord, teach me those things. But, but it wasn't the raising the dead, the healing the sick, or even multiplying food that they wanted to learn. As they watched Jesus, the one thing that was central for Jesus, the one thing they saw as his sustaining, sustaining strength was his prayer life. And so when they had one lesson, they asked, Lord, Teach us to pray like that. They knew if they could pray like he prayed, they could have a better chance of living like he lived. Paul says, pray unceasingly at all times. When you're burdened, pray. When you're sick, pray. When you're worried, pray. When you're disappointed, pray. When you're afraid, pray. Pray, 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 Paul says. God sustains us through our fervent prayers. There's a second thing in this psalm. He sustains us through inward peace. He sustains us through inward peace. Look at verse 18a. He redeemed my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. Difficulties come our way, and as we grow older, the difficulties just get larger, and God sustains us not only through prayers, but verse 18a, through our inward peace. It was December the 29th, 1987, a Soviet cosmonaut, what we'd call an astronaut, returned to Earth from 300. He'd been in orbit in outer space for 326 days. I couldn't do it, but he did. 326 days, he came back. He was healthy. He was strong. He checked out okay, but that had not always been the case. Five years earlier, there were two cosmonauts who traveled for 211 days. When they came back, they were dizzy and they were nauseated. Their pulse rates were high. They had heart palpitations. They were weak. They couldn't walk for a week. They had to have rehab for 30 days, and they were still in therapy for months. Their muscles had atrophied. Their hearts had weakened. You see, at zero gravity, when nothing is pushing against us, we become weak. 
And there in outer space with zero, zero gravity, the heart began to shrink and weaken. The muscles began to waste away. And after 200 days, 11 days, they came back. They couldn't even walk because their muscles were so weak. So the Russian outer space, they came up with a, a penguin suit. It was lined with rubber bands. So every time you moved your arm, it would fight against your arm. And every time you moved your leg, it would fight against your leg. And that's why this gentleman came back strong. For all those 300 days, he had had adversity. And in that adversity, he was, he was made strong. Sometimes you and I might dream for days without any difficulty, without any trouble. But God knows better. God strengthens us and sustains us. Sometimes we're like Jesus and we pray, take this cup away from me, this hardship, this challenge, this brokenness, take it away from me. And sometimes he does and sometimes he says, you will drink the cup. I will be with you, as he said to his own son, but you will go to the cross. You will drink the cup. The great pulpiteer of Phillips Brooks said, do not pray for a task equal to your power. Pray for power equal to your task. Do not pray for a task, something small, equal to who you are, but rather pray for the power equal to the big task that God has given to you. Paul writes, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, rather, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may be upon me. Here's a third thing I want you to see. God sustains us. That's what you've been talking about all weekend. God sustains us when we focus on the Father. Look at verse 19, what he says. God will hear and answer them, even the one who sits enthroned from old, with whom there is no change. When he began to take his focus away from his friend, who was now an enemy, when he began to take his focus away, his perception away from his failings, and began to, to focus on the Father, the one who is always as he is, the one who was and is and will be, the one who never changes, the one who says who's on his throne and thrown from old, then he knows. Then he knows. Students, I want, I want to challenge you this morning to have your focus be that you're a follower of Jesus. Let your life's focus be that you are a follower of Jesus. Nothing else will work. Nothing. You play on the volleyball team in middle school, you do well. You play on the volleyball team in ninth grade, you do well. You don't make it past ninth grade. If you've thought about yourself as a volleyball player and your friends see you as a volleyball player and all of a sudden, through a decision that's not your own, you're not a volleyball player, then who are you now? But if you are first a follower of Jesus, and playing volleyball is just something you do on the side for fun, then no coach can take that away from you. Your identity is being a disciple of the rabbi Rabbi Jesus, focus, focus on the Father. 
Or maybe you've dated him for two years and everybody sees you as Hunter girl, Hunter's girlfriend or as Rachel's boyfriend. And you're always, everybody, you two are always together and everybody knows you two as a pair. And all of a sudden, she says, get lost. He says, it's over. I'm done. Then who am I now? I'm not Hunter's girlfriend anymore. I'm not Rachel's boyfriend anymore. I don't have an identity. I don't even, what am I, who am I going to do things with? Who am I going to ride with? What am I going to do on a Friday night? But if I am first and foremost in relationship with the Father through the Son, if I am a follower of Rabbi Jesus, then Hunter can go away. Rachel can disappear. And I have not lost who I am at my core. Maybe you're the best violinist at your high school. A transfer student comes in, and she's good. No, she's great. All of a sudden, you find yourself in despair and begin falling down the pecking order, and it's not that important to anybody else, but it seems to be important to your parents, and therefore, it seems to be important to you. And now, from nowhere, you're dethroned in the orchestra. You don't tune up the orchestra anymore. If you see yourself as the best violinist at your high school and that's who you are, you don't have that anymore. But if you see yourself as a follower of Jesus, if, that, if that's who you really are, I am a child of God, I am a student of the rabbi, I am a follower of Jesus, then no conductor can ever take that away from you. Oh, you might be mad, you might practice harder, you might try to get back on top, and those would all be good things to do. But if you don't, you are still who you are. For the rest of your life, this world's going to try to get you out of focus. For the rest of your life, somebody's going to call you to do something else. Hey, let's make fun your focus. Hey, let's make success your focus. Let's make sex your focus. Let's make drugs or alcohol your focus. Let's make a boyfriend your focus. Let's make a girlfriend your focus. The rest of your life, it doesn't matter, you're 75. Somebody's going to be trying to change your focus. It never stops. Every day, Satan wakes up, calls you by name and says, I want to change his focus. I want to change her focus. What can I send his way? What can I send her way to get things out of focus? If your focus is on the Father, if who you are is a follower of Jesus, a confessed, baptized believer in Christ Jesus, you are one of his disciples, no less than John, no less than Peter, no less than any of the named disciples in the book. That's who you are. No one can ever take that away from you. No matter what comes in life, no matter what failures you have, no matter what successes you have, it's not just the failures who try to change your focus. Sometimes success tries to change your focus. Who am I? I am a son or daughter of the king. I'm a follower of Jesus, and that will forever be my focus. David says, I look, somebody's disappointed me. It wasn't my enemy, it was my friend. 
And I wish I had some wings. If I had wings, I would fly away and I would go up to the cave. And in the mouth of the cave, I would rest in safety. But I can't. I don't have wings. So I look to the one on the throne, the one who never changes, the one who is as he was and always will be. And I know as I focus on the Father, it'll be okay. Let us pray. Oh, God, help us this morning to focus on you, to realize that everything else in life is on the sideline, that only you and our relationship with you is at the center. Father, I know these students are tempted every single day to see themselves as anything but a follower of Jesus. May every decision they make be filtered through the fact that they are a follower of Jesus. And not just while they're in high school or middle school, but way beyond, oh God, to college and young adult and median age. And even as senior adults, we are tempted to change our focus. Oh God, it, not even despite our troubles, but especially in our troubles, draw us close to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.